I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. that time of week again. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. Today is November 27th, and I've got a great show for you this week. But this week is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to, because I'm doing this bad boy all alone. I figure, because Radio Free Satan is taking a week off, and I am not, I do not want to short a guest by only getting half the audience they would normally get. So, while the rest of Radio Free Satan is on hiatus for a week, enjoying time with their family, I'm taking a small break from mine in order to deliver this podcast to you, while not shortcutting any of my guests. And I do have a couple lined up that are really great, and I think you're going to really enjoy. How about we talk about my week so far? Yesterday was my son's birthday, and um, he's that preteen age. And it's funny because the the older he gets, the more I see myself in him. Um, his mannerisms, uh, the way he interacts with his friends and, and us, his parents, uh, the music that he listens to. Uh, I mean, he is distinctly different. But there are little brief glimpses of myself in him that I, it's just really fun to, to see, to experience as a parent. We had a, a couple people over for his birthday, and his grandparents as well. And his grandparents, my parents, are actually Mormon. And, and so it's it's always interesting getting them together with uh, my friends and uh, other family. Because they're always the odd ones out. <laughs> I mean, just being Mormon makes them odd ones out. But uh, when you have a small group of people, you can see visible discomfort when they start talking about something that is absolutely foreign to anyone else. Uh, For example, I got a bunch of temporary tattoos uh, for the kids to put on during the little uh, gathering, and they were all doing it, having fun, and my uh, father mentioned that uh, it would be funny if he had a bunch of tattoos on, and then he went to church, and how they would react, and I imagine that if you were Mormon and you heard this story, it would have been really funny. But for everyone else, we were just looking at him like he was some weird bug on a leaf, and we were trying to understand why this bug was doing what he was doing, because it didn't make any sense. And it got to a point where it was almost uncomfortable to even watch and hear. Unfortunately, uh, they ended up ducking out of the situation, I guess you could say. Um, you know, they'd spend a couple hours with uh, my son and daughter anyway, so they just sort of uh, pulled themselves out of the rest of the evening. I and I don't. No one. Everyone was being kind and you know, sort of placating them with uh, smiles and laughs at their jokes and stuff. But I think it. You know, it is one of those things where they're aware 
that they are not the same. <laughs> and, and they know that they, you know, everything they're going to talk about is going to be a little weird. Every uh, relatable story is going to be a little off. So they did the probably the smartest thing they could have done. And that's just leave for the moment. On other news, Turkey Day was a huge resounding success. I feasted, I drank, uh, <laughs> and then I slept. It was it was a really, really great meal. Uh, had a really good time with my family, just the immediate family, no one else uh, around. And that's something that we don't normally get. We usually have a couple people over and, you know, have this whole sort of thing put together. But we, we decided not to do that this year, and... It ended up being amazing, and I think that might be the direction we go in from now on. <laughs> just to avoid uh, any potential hassle or anything, it was just really nice spending time exclusively uh, with my kids and my wife. Alright, how about we talk about this show uh, in The Devil's Advocate today? It is part three of nine of How to Be a God or the Devil. And this one is going to be good. An infernal informant, Walmart pepper spraying customer, may not be charged, and Iran expels Britain's ambassador to Tehran, calling death to England. And creature feature, I'm going to bring you a book I read in 2001, I think, or maybe 2002. The Poet in Exile by Ray Manzarek. Really great book. And I'm going to give you a bizarre bizarre, but I'm not going to tell you about it until we get there. So sit back Hold on tight. Another nine cents starts right now. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south. I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. We begin this Devil's Advocate by a little bit of a retrospective on what we've talked about so far in this segment. I've been doing a nine-part series of How to Be a God or the Devil. Uh, two weeks ago, I started with Don't Advertise. Don't tell other people you're a God. Just be one. Don't think it'd be it. <laughs> uh, last week was Never Be Fashionable. Don't overexert yourself to try to fit in with the herd. This week, we're talking about you must be creative. What does that mean? Well, it means don't copy other people. <laughs> Find something original inside of yourself and really exploit that. When you copy someone, you're obviously not an original human being. You're just a mimic of some other original human being. Hopefully, I mean, you could be copying someone else that's copying someone else, right? And then what are you? Just a shitty replication of someone else's shitty replication? Oh, we are gods, because we are original. And that may be misunderstood at times, if not our entire lives. And that may mean we get no recognition from the herd out there. 
But that's not a bad thing. That means you're probably doing something right. <laughs> uh, you'll be recognized by those worthy of recognizing you in what you do. I always find it interesting when it comes to creativity because it's such a subjective thing. Uh, and, and what's crazy about it, what's funny about it, is that a lot of people, when they try to be creative, are looking for some form of recognition for their creativity. And it, I mean, this is a natural human thing uh, at some base level. It reminds me of uh, a photo that I had taken for this this group that I was a part of. Um, speaking of creativity, so the group was meant to be a collection of artists who I had no real connection with, other than one um, individual, and they were looking for uh, an image to represent the group that they were going to be changing out every once in a while. So I had uh, got together with a photo shoot and did this really obscure photograph uh, with uh, my wife. And it was like this um, uh, form with uh, like six nipples going down the stomach and this eyeless creature uh, sucking on like one of the lower nipples uh, going down the stomach. It was a really, really, in my opinion, uh, interesting, obscure photo. And when I presented it for... Uh, inclusion in the the group image it was rejected outright uh, saying that they could not show something like that and it's funny because it was completely original it was completely different than anything that uh, they ended up choosing in months uh, since but it w it was completely original and creative and they ended up just sort of regurgitating photos that people have already done that's what I'm talking about when I'm meaning be creative. Don't try to do something so that it will work for other people. Don't don't shortcut your creativity because it may not be suitable for all viewing audiences. Do whatever crazy, weird, or completely normal, bland, and mundane thing that you feel like you need to do. As long as you're not copying anyone else in the process. That is creativity. Finding whatever you want to say inside of you and saying it in whatever manner you can. And that could be sculpture. That could be writing. That could be spoken word poetry. Um, I mean, that could just be traditional art. That could be drawing doodles and putting them together in a collection and getting them out there or just doing cartoons on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or whatever creativity strikes you. The point is this. Everyone has an outlet. You need to use it. Don't copy. Be original. And that's going to lead you to being God or the devil. Let's move over to the infernal informant. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the infernal informant. Uh, this is a good one. Walmart pepper spraying customer may not be charged. <laughs> In Arizona, police say they are investigating allegedly brutal arrest of 54-year-old grandfather by Nina Mandel. This is the New York Daily News today, actually. 
Los Angeles police have yet to decide if they will charge a woman accused of using pepper spray on a shopping crowd at Walmart on Thanksgiving, the Los Angeles Times reported. Investigators also declined to discuss her motive for doing it, whether she felt threatened by the crowd or merely wanting to clear people away so she could shop. Right? Her motive. Quote, We have her identity, and we know who she is and where she is at. <laughs> nice. When appropriate action needs to be taken, we know where to find her, said Officer Bruce Borahan, a police spokesman, told CNN. She's a suspect, but she's not booked or anything, so we're not releasing her name. The unidentified woman, who turned herself into police on Friday night, was released as police continued to interview witnesses and investigate the case, which made international headlines. Police said earlier she was looking to beat shoppers to a discounted Xbox 360 set. About 20 Walmart shoppers complained of burning eyes and sore throats after the incident, the Times reported. The suspect, according to the report, paid for the Xbox before leaving the store. The LAPD wasn't the only police department busy investigating a Black Friday incident at Walmart. In Arizona, police said that they were conducting an investigation into the arrest of a 54-year-old man at one of the retail stores, CNN reported. Gerald Newman was charged with shoplifting and resisting arrest and released Saturday, but his grandson, Nicholas Nava, told KNXV that his grandfather simply put the video game under his shirt to avoid protect it from other shoppers as they made their way to the register. Man, no one spell checks or context checks at all. Uh, nice. CNN reported that a police officer approached Nava and then eventually slammed him into the ground, leaving his face bloodied. Quote, we may have an independent agency conduct the inquiry just to show transparency, a spokesman said. Newman, meanwhile, has hired an attorney and plans on speaking with reporters later this week, CNN reported. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, look, uh, that's actually the article. And this is just a small handful of cases where Black Friday or just that notion of finding that one discounted item and getting it before anyone else, that me, me, me culture of ours, uh, can get you into a little bit of trouble. I cannot for the life of me believe why they wouldn't detain someone for pepper spraying a crowd just to pick up a video game console that's ridiculous but i do have to say it's probably pretty good um <laughs> pr for xbox <laughs> and it just speaks to this broader idea that the tail end of the year is associated with nothing but possession and I can't help but find real uh, disgust in that. I mean, I'm like everyone else in the world. I have to have clothes on my back, and I have to have a microphone to speak into, and a monitor to read from, or uh, edit from, or to create. I mean, just for my damn job, I need a computer. So possession is a part of the world that we live in. All right, we are living in a material world. <laughs> but I'm not a material girl. Is, you know, it's that idea that Black Friday is the one day that everyone has to go out and get those great deals. Who cares if you're paying $10 more or $50 more for the product the next day? You get to avoid humanity 
by doing it? Or why not just sit at home and shop online? Does anyone ever remember that? And all of these people out there defending this behavior by saying they are forced to go shopping on that one day just to get those great deals. You ever think for a second, maybe you could try producing something yourself? And maybe that would be just as impactful to the recipient of the gift? I mean, at what point did we say, no, everyone has to have a flat screen TV from me this holiday season, and the only time I can get three of them for the price of one is this one day, so I'm going to get in there, I'm going to pepper spray people, I'm going to elbow, it's going to be like a mosh pit up in there, just so I can get my stuff, so I can give it to the people that I know, and they're going to know that I am the greatest person, so much better than all those other gift-giving people. Yay, it's all about me and presence and consumption. What the hell happened to us? I mean, certainly there has to be a, a part of this where you're looking at your behavior in a situation like this, and you're just disgusted, right? Am I the only one that sees it like that? Is I mean, it's pure disgusting behavior for things that mean less than shit. You can't take them with you when you die. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what they... I get that you want to watch TV and have a clear picture and be a part of this uh, disgusting world. Well, you don't have at it. Every Black Friday, I take a page from Adbusters that day. Buy nothing day. <laughs> I don't go out of the house. I don't go shopping. I sit on my tuchus and I just watch the crazy herd react. It's disgusting. And actually, that's what I think everyone should do, is avoid the consumption altogether. Find something creative inside of yourself that you can produce and give that out. Because I tell you what, in the long run, it's going to mean a lot more and it's going to be much longer lasting than the junk that you get that has to be recycled every three months or every year because the newest version of it is out now. Hey, and you know, if you want to be a part of the consumer world, you know, fine. Do your thing. I don't care. I'm just saying that for me, no thank you. All right, the next one here. Iran expels Britain's ambassador to Tehran, calling death to England. Iran erupted in a fresh frenzy of animosity toward its old imperial foe on Sunday, as MPs chanting, Death to England, voted to expel Britain's ambassador to Tehran, and threaten his mission with a reprise of the 1979 hostage crisis. By Adrian Bloomfield, a Middle East correspondent, posted today. Dominic Chilcott, who took up the position of ambassador just a month ago, could be forced to leave the country within weeks after a motion to downgrade Iran's diplomatic ties with Britain was passed overwhelmingly by the Islamist Republic's parliament. The step was taken after Britain, Canada, and the United States announced fresh sanctions against Iran last week in the wake of a report by UN weapons inspectors, which provided the most compelling case yet that Tehran is trying to build a nuclear bomb. Britain was singled out, however, after it became the first state to impose direct sanctions on Iran's central bank. Financial institutions in the city were also banned from doing business with the Iranian counterparts. Despite pressure from Israel, Washington has balked at the following suit, arguing that such a step would cause deep financial pain for ordinary Iranians and could cause the price of oil to soar. 
If the central bank faced widespread international sanctions, Iran would find it virtually impossible to import and export oil, food, and other commodities except on the black market. It is the first time in the UK's post-war history that Britain has imposed a total boycott on the entire banking industry of a foreign state. Iran's MPs were incandescent in their fury towards Britain, known by many in Iran as the Old Fox. After announcing that the motion had been carried 171 votes to three, Ali Larajani, the hawkish speaker, warned that even tougher penalties would be imposed on Britain, saying, This is just the beginning of the road. That was my impression. Did you like it? <laughs> the resolution which declared the British government to be worse than the devil. Mm, worse than America? Or worse than me? I mean, you got to be a little clearer about this when you're writing it. Must now be approved by Iran's guardian council. It is unlikely that the body's spiritual elders, whose main role is to ensure that the legislation cannot be deemed un-Islamic, would block the vote. Once the council has bestowed its blessing, Mr. Chilcott would be ejected from the country and Iran's ambassador to London recalled. The respective missions would be run at charge d'affaires level, as they were just a few months ago. For many MPs, the censure was not strong enough. This plan should be firmer and stronger against Britain, Mahmoud Bighash, one legislator, told the House. Having relations with Britain, even with one representative, is a total betrayal, and we should padlock the British Embassy. Another of his colleagues went even further, invoking the hostage crisis of 1979, when, at the height of Iran's Islamist revolution, a student gunman raided the U.S. embassy in Tehran and took his diplomatic staff hostage for 444 days. The British government should know that if they insist on their evil stances, the Iranian people will punch them in the mouth. <laughs> Exactly as happened against America's den of spies, said Mehdi Kazede. <laughs> that is, this has to be the translation, because if he really said, the Iranian people will punch them in the mouth, <laughs> can't you think of more powerful examples than punch them in the mouth? Really, Mehdi? <laughs> the Foreign Office said it was dismayed by the development. The Iranian parliament's vote to expel our ambassador is regrettable, a spokesman said. If the Iranian government acts in this, we will respond robustly in consultation with our international partners. The latest spat caps two years of worsening relations between Iran and Britain, which has been described by the Islamic State's supreme leader, Ayatollah al-Khamenei, I probably said that wrong. As the most treacherous of Iran's enemies. Much of the anger has been directed at Britain for its criticism of Iran's democratic record, especially in the aftermath of its controversial elections in 2009. Of itself, Britain's decision to sanction Iran's central bank will not be seen as of great consequence, but there is fear that other states, both within and outside of the EU, could follow suit, a development that would prompt profound disquiet within the corridors of the regime. Uh, that's the article. I'm probably one of the few people here that are really concerned with Iran. I understand 
that them having an atomic bomb would provoke an even larger nuclear arms race or the chance that they could sell that bomb to other terrorist organizations that are anti-American, and I understand that threat. All right, I'm not an idiot. I, I, I get it. What I don't really concern myself with is that they're always under the table. They're never overt. They never overtly start wars, Iran. They're uh, a sneakier people. And I wouldn't even say that the people themselves, I think the Iranian people are foolish for being Islamic, but for those that are, but, uh, you know, as a general population, they're no worse than any other human population. They're led by people that they allowed themselves to be enslaved by, essentially, um, by a religion that will enslave them at their own will, again, and they're just sort of living their life and getting pissed at other people who dabble in it. Uh, And that's not a big thing. That's not a bad thing. If that's their bag, let them do their thing. Whatever. I don't care. What I have a problem with is telling another country that they can or cannot do things. And I have a problem with that because it means that other people can expect to do the same thing to us. I may be alone here as a Satanist in identifying myself as a proud American. Um, I've made my stance very clear when it comes to patriotism and um, the great Satan, as it were, and and how I draw pride and strength from that. Um, We act in our own self-interest, and so we will continue to condemn states like Iran who uh, have a vile religious uh, operating control over the country um, and uh, continue to try to uh, subvert our influence in the world. Um, but I understand it. Like, I get it. I say let them do what they want to do. If they want to go toes, we'll go toes. Uh, but I genuinely think that we need to stop focusing so much on one country or one region and just sort of let them implode. If there's one thing that we've learned, not just Americans here I'm talking about, but I mean just human beings here, if there's one thing that we've learned throughout history is that these um, Judeo-Islamic religions, Christian religions, eventually implode on themselves in one way or another. And whether that's from a means of people waking up and realizing the absurdity and uh, the injustice and starting revolts on their own, or whether it's um, from the inside and just corruption and and people seeing it for what it really is, uh, a big business uh, meant to control people's actions and minds. It happens on its own. We don't have to be involved in that. That's just the natural course of a lie, it will out itself. So I say we just let the lie out itself, uh, stay clear of it, and uh, do what we can to ensure that it doesn't come over into uh, our area, wherever that area is around the world, for us Satanists, um, and just laugh as it all unfolds. We don't need to be involved. We don't need to be pointing fingers saying, you cannot do this, because when you do that, someone's going to take a bite at the finger. We don't need to be involved. I don't think we've ever needed to be involved. So let's not. All right. Let's move on into the creature feature after a short break.
Prepare for incoming message. Prepare yourself for Deep Six Radio. I am Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am Inris. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails and MP3s to us at deep6 at radiofreesatan.com Include a bio and anything you want mentioning on air. We are open to any genre apart from rap. Deep Six also includes a fine selection of alternative rock as well as multiple other genres. So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep Six Radio. Deep Six is available on radiofreesatan.com and also iTunes a week later. We, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. End of the line. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave post-punk and other hits? Jay Nothing the host of the metro will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable get the weekly updates at radiofreesatan.com and remember hail satan down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz only available on Radio Free Satan are different than cats and hey what if jack nicholson were a- hey what if we are the world was sung by the cast of friends i think it might go something like this hi everyone i'm jay leno anyone remember when i was funny eat doritos ladies and gentlemen dane cook are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. 
And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Hi, uh, this is Creature Feature. I am kicking it old school, man. Old school nine cents style. <laughs> it's it's going to be me this entire episode. I'm talking about the doors. Kind of. You see, I'm going to be talking about the book, The Poet in Exile, by Ray Manzarek, who's the keyboardist for the doors. And when I came across this book in 2001, I, I mean, I had grown up with the doors ever since my sister had shown me the movie when it came out and i was infatuated with not only their music but jim morrison as anyone who is into the doors is uh his individuality attracted me to him as an artist and as a poet and though i don't think his poetry is as impactful as it is um, intimated, as people say it is. Um, I do think there's genuine creativity involved, and I genuinely appreciate creative individuals. So when I stumble across someone like Jim Morrison, and I read the biographies available, and I listen to the music, and I read the poetry... Um, it's only natural after a while to sort of uh, hear about those, <laughs> especially because he was he died and overdosed so young. Uh, hear about those conspiracy theories that he's not alive. I mean, sorry, that he's not dead. Kind of like Elvis in that respect. And it's weird because I never heard conspiracy theories about Janis Joplin not being dead or about. Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix not being dead, who also died, I believe, at the same age. And it may be because I'd just never been exposed to them because I wasn't as caught up in their cultures, as it were, uh, as I was the Doors. But, uh, I mean, I, I, even even after a while, I, 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 I really connected with the idea of Jim Morrison. And, I mean, now that I have a chance of, you know, looking back and examining... Um, behaviors, I think it was because I was realizing I was so different, and this was another individual that was completely different. Knowing what I do now, I think it's entirely unfortunate that he succumbed to um, uh, habitual drug use. And he essentially drowned himself in that. 
uh, I still think that there's validity to uh, what he was mentioning. I and I also remember, you know, growing up um, in high school, being continually asked by one specific instructor uh, whether or not he would have been a powerful, as powerfully speaker, uh, an icon, if drugs weren't involved. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't think so. I, I thought it was all attributed to drugs. Um, and I have to be, you know, quite honest here, um, but, I mean, that was out of ignorance. I mean, I was a, a stupid kid. I didn't know any better. I didn't realize that individuality and creativity was an inherent thing. I didn't know that it could be developed and fostered. I mean, I was coming from a, a place of uh, religious stifling of individuality, that you must be a Mormon, and you must believe and think this way. So when I saw someone that was outside of that, it was so foreign to me. I had no other uh, place of comparison than to say, well, it must be because he does this, and I don't. I would later realize that that was pure ignorance. And I'm comfortable saying that. Uh, what I can say is that when I learned of the conspiracy theories about his life, I, I, I'm like any other human being. I love a good story. I love a good tale. You know, weave it as deep and as involved as you'd like. I find myself getting caught up in tales. However, because I can be objective, because I have perspective, I can take a step back and realize that, all right, well, I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book and it's not real. It's just a good story. So I can appreciate it for what it is. And I did that for these Jim Morrison survival tales or fake death tales uh, for a number of years. What I liked, getting back to the point of this Creature Feature segment, what I liked about <laughs> The Poet in Exile was that Ray Manzarek, in my own opinion, and I'm going to give you other people's opinions here in a second, uh, in my own opinion, did with that book was take the conspiracy theories that were out there, turn them on their head, give them a mild amount of validity, but then complete it to his own end, thereby squashing continued conspiracy theories. I think it was a move, if it was meant to squash conspiracy theories, that was backed with genius. But I think he was just trying to make a buck in reality. Either way, if you enjoy the doors, if you enjoy the myth that surrounds Jim Morrison's death, or Jim Morrison himself. You will appreciate this book. Let me give you a synopsis here. With the publication of this stunning book, Ray Manzarek, keyboardist for The Doors, fulfills a vow of friendship and adds an astonishing, unexpected chapter to the legend of The Doors. Is the lead singer of America's most notorious rock and roll band really buried in Paris? Years after the poet's apparent death, 
his longtime musical collaborator and friend, Ray, receives the first of several mysterious postcards bearing cryptic verse, signed only J. Trusting his instinct that this is not a hoax, Ray traces the cards to their apparent source, a remote island in the Indian Ocean. There, to his amazement, he's reunited with the man once known as the Snake Man, and hears the remarkable story of his faked death and the rebirth it made possible. Dramatically abandoning his self-destructive life as a rock god, Jay had managed to disappear and undertake a private journey to the east. After years of rigorous study and meditation in India, he returned to his island hideaway and settled down. A happily married man, a father of two children, he had discovered the secret of life and was finally free of the demons that had driven him headlong through the American night. And yet there was a pile of notebooks and manuscripts and an enticing question. Would destiny smile upon the relaunch of one of the most influential rock and roll bands in history? Alright, so that's the publisher's note about the book. Let, let me tell you initially. Okay, so this is a book about what happens after the death of of Jim Morrison, assuming you believe the idea that Jim Morrison didn't die in the first place. Now, certain names were changed, and what was funny, because the publisher is referring to Ray, and then Jay, and then the Snake King, and they're mixing a couple things up, because it's referencing Ray's real name instead of Roy, the character he plays in the book. And Jay, not being Jim Morrison, but actually Jordan. Okay, so what's great about this book? It is an attempt by a close friend of the deceased to end the absurdity of myth surrounding his death. In the same time, making him a little Skrilla. I can't fault him that. And it's actually a pretty good story. What I don't like about this book is that if you know anything about The Doors, you know that uh, Jim Morrison was really into psychedelics. He was really into pushing to the extremes of behavior, not only of himself, but of the idea of of mass herds of individuals. He, he was obsessed with the idea of rioting and rising against the man and invoking that in other people. So a lot of his behavior is based around that. You know, even to this day, I can appreciate that idea. But Ray and the rest of the band were really, at the time of Jim Morrison and later in the band's history, um, were really involved in, like, Buddhist sort of uh, peace and harmony with nature and uh, this idea of, of uh, oneness. And what pisses me off about this book is that he attributes that to Jim Morrison. So he, in his attempt to squash this idea, this absurd idea that Jim Morrison is actually alive, he is squashing the myth that is Jim Morrison at the same time. He's changing Jim Morrison from this 
rebellious, raucous, influential, chaotic force of nature that he was musically into this peace and harmony, finding solace in the universe, bullshit character that he wants to be himself. And as a fan of The Doors, as a fan of Jim Morrison, it infuriates me that he desecrates the memory of one of his close friends in that way, changing his entire persona. And he hides it by saying, well, it's not Jim, it's this fictional character I made up in this book. But there are, everything about this book is literally what happens after Jim dies, changing Ray and Jim's name. Like, that's the only difference. So, yes, okay, it's, it's a good way to squash the absurd theories surrounding his death or life after death. But it's also a way of squishing, in my opinion, a very powerful human being's voice and memory. I find comfort in that not a lot of people know about this book or have read it, especially that are Doris fan. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. And I'm bringing it to you because with that in mind, with what I've said in mind, it's still a good story. It's an idea of self-actualization, and that's something we Satanists understand intimately. So if you can appreciate a story for that, if you can take it out of the context of being what happened to Jim Morrison after his fake death, then it's not a bad story. But in that context, with an awareness of what Ray Manzarek is trying to do, it's even better. I love it when people try to lie to you for whatever reason. Money, control, individual power. But that you can see through that and still appreciate what they're doing at the same time. I think that's that's sort of that third side that we're always, uh, you know, living in. It's that third side of awareness, but appreciation for behaviors, even if you don't condone said behavior. <laughs> uh, a little bit cryptic, a little bit complex. Get your ass out there. The Poet in Exile, A Journey into the Mystic by Ray Manzarek. I highly recommend it only if you're a fan of The Doors. And if you're not a fan of The Doors, stay the fuck away from it. Let's go ahead and uh, jump into the bizarre bizarre. I got one for you yet again. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the bazaar of the bazaar. People going barefoot at work. This drives me fucking crazy. Alright, so I work at a particularly conservative office building. However, some of our clients are ski industry individuals. I'm saying that delicately because I see them as bums, literally. When you give yourself to a sport, whatever that sport is, and that becomes your life, personally, I think it's pathetic. I can appreciate, and, and it's sort of the idea of a, a well-rounded individual. So I can appreciate an individual that is 
particularly good at one thing. What I cannot appreciate and what I despise immensely is an individual that is only good at one thing. And that they, because of that, they wrap their entire world around that one thing. Whether it's um, Olympic skiing, croquet, whatever it is. We are human beings. I'm a firm believer that mankind inherently, at its best, is renaissance man. Meaning, you dabble in a lot of things and you excel at a lot of things. Not that you find one good thing about yourself and you just sort of exploit that one good thing. And I feel like that's what the ski culture is. Well, I suck at life. I'm pathetic at interpersonal relationships. But I'm really pretty doggone good at going down a hill on a sled. Strapped to my feet. Drives me fucking crazy. And more to that, drives me crazy, probably, because I am intimately involved professionally in it. Yeah. So, when you run across these gems of mankind who base their entire lives around one thing. This drives me fucking crazy. I mean, it's as if it would be like me coming to you, the listener, saying all I am is a podcaster. This is all I do. This is the greatest thing in my entire life, and everything I do is going to be based around this podcast. Give me a break. I have a real life. Just like all of you do, that has nothing to do with this podcast, and more importantly because it has nothing to do with this podcast, that I cherish it. And all of you are involved in a facet of different possibilities of different creative endeavors that have nothing to do with your primary means of gainful employment. But these people that isolate them down themselves down to one sole thing drive me crazy. It, it, limiting yourself in that way is, is the ultimate of saying, I am worth nothing. Because what happens when you suddenly can't do that one thing anymore? What happens when that one thing no longer exists for you? If you're a painter and you lose your hand or your fingers or you have MS and you can't hold the doggone brush anymore. You're worthless at that point. And humans were never meant to do one thing at a time. We are multifaceted creatures. We hunt. We gather. We, we, we farm. We brew. We create. We destroy. We do everything that is the exact opposite of what we do. <laughs> that is what is wonderful about us. So when you find those people that isolate all of that, store it away, and just focus on one sole tiny little thing, this is what I do. They are wastes of human flesh. In my opinion, they are worthless. They may be good at that one thing, but if you are only good at one thing, what good are you? Really? 
Alright, so this entire rant is based around the idea of me working with specific individuals. And I come in, I, I, I wear a button-up shirt to work. I take care in how I look. Because I work in a professional environment. And I come into work, and I see people walking around my office, coming into my office... With no shoes on. In bare feet. I... And I have to qualify this. I have no problem on an individual level. If you're just at my house, don't wear shoes. I don't fucking care. But if you're in a professional environment, put your doggone shoes on. What is wrong with you? More to that, I don't want to see your toes... I don't want to see your feet. I don't want to see your legs. Dress appropriately to the environment in which you work. And what drives me crazy in the area that I work is that people seem to think because they live... Because they live in a town that is famous for one particular sport, they can act as though that's the only thing that matters worthless potheads, alcoholics, habitual part-time job owners, ski bums. Ignore everything I said before the word bum, and that's all you get. That is all you're worth. Bums. Whatever happened to men being men? A sport was just a thing you did on the side for fun. You were more than that, more complex. Women, they understood and appreciated that. They stood up and supported you as long as you worshipped, supported them. Whatever happened to that world that I hold so dear, that I think of in times of distress and gives me peace and calm? Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe I'm out of touch with the times. But I believe in a professional environment. You should keep your fucking shoes on. I guess that all it really comes down to. So, for this bizarre, bizarre, keep your fucking shoes on. (laughs) I don't care what lifestyle you've chosen for yourself no one wants to see your fucking toes and if you're in defeat well then you probably want to see him on an intimate level and not so much in a public level and either way don't ever walk into my office my professional environment asking me for anything without shoes on because i will look at you i will laugh And I will ignore your ass, as I've done so far. And it may give me the persona of asshole, or dick, or hell, fucking asshole. But in that case, I will respect it, because you're not respecting me. I've got other things to add on to that, actually, but I'm going to... I'm going to restrain myself because I feel like I'm sort of going off on this weird tangent. And more to that, I'm kind of getting angry. So that's going to be it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. 
I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And listen up. If you're going to go to 9 cents via the iTunes, stop for two seconds. Give me a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and why wouldn't you, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! <laughs>